Good morning, everyone. Hi. For those who don't know me, my name is Sarah. I am a lay member of this church. And it just occurred to me that this, I think, is the longest I've ever been in one church in all my life. It's coming on to eight years. Um, Not because I'm a flaky Christian, but I uh, have a habit of moving countries quite regularly. Uh, And when I hit the eight and a half year mark of being in the city, which will be halfway through next year, it'll be the longest I've ever lived in one city as well, which is amazing. Um, but it's my great pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I was uh, roted on to preach for the nine o'clock, uh, and Anne gave me a, a, a firm sort of, you know, please stick to the time this time, because I tend to go over, and also we had that warden's message. And obviously, two minutes before I was due to get up, the Holy Spirit told me to rip up half the sermon and wing it and go with what he was saying rather than what I had prepared, and (laughs) praise God. Uh, And I thought Anne was going to tell me off at the end, and instead she said, cool, can you do it again Um, for the 10.30? So sorry if it's it's, uh, a little bit scatty. It's not very, (laughs) this is not the prepared version. Um, I want to also, just before we get to our... uh, our reading, just to say thank you to all of those who've been standing with me and praying with me with regards to my health. Um, last time I preached was for the 9 a.m., I think in, I think it was in November, and I was kind of at the end of myself. I'd been in chronic pain and fatigue for nearly two years, and I'd had a, a terrible conversation with my uh, consultant, who's a specialist in my, uh, in my disease, and he had said, of people with your illness, even when they hit remission, continue to have chronic fatigue for the rest of their life. And 30% continue to have chronic pain. We've tried all the drugs that we can try on you. It looks like you might just be part of that unlucky half. Um, And so I got up here and preached at the 9 a.m. And I was supposed to preach on the joy of the Lord. And I was just in terrible pain and just asked all of you to pray for me. Um, and I'm, I'm quite happy to say that I'm not in any pain at all now. So praise God. And I, I barely struggle at all with fatigue. Um, yeah, praise God. So just off the back of that rather scary announcement, just want to encourage you um, that I reached clinical remission uh, halfway through February this year. Um, I still have to be sort of careful with some lifestyle choices um, and still have to take some medication. But I, my, my life is drastically improved and I'd say I'm sort of operating at 90 to 95 percent now so keep praying for me for that last sort of five to ten percent um that I'll be healed for good but um just want to start off by encouraging uh, you guys with that um we're going to be continuing on our sermon series this morning uh, with the book of Hebrews we are in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, and we're going to be beginning at verse 22 going right through to the end of the chapter so if you'll turn with me there Hebrews 11, 22 to 38. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. 
He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with, with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we're talking about faith today, and Jesus in the New Testament tells us to have faith like a little child. So I thought I'd read you some children's prayers just to warm us up this morning. These are all real prayers that parents have uploaded to the internet. Dear Lord, if you give me a magical genie lamp, I'll give you anything you ask for, except my money and my chess set. How many of us have prayed that prayer? <laughs> or something like it? Dear God, is Reverend Coe a friend of yours, or do you just know him through business? My favorite. Dear Lord, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. <laughs> now, our reading from this morning picks up from where we left off last week and continues to list key characters from the Old Testament who, were, who are to be regarded as exemplars for us as, as people of faith. Earlier in this chapter, the author of Hebrews says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. In other words, faith is something that requires what I would call a prophetic impulse. The ability to see or discern something that does not yet carry evidence of being real. It doesn't mean that that thing isn't real. It just means that you haven't seen evidence of it yet, but you're going to trust God anyway. For some of us in this room, it is genuinely a very big leap of faith to believe that there is a God. For others, we can conceptualize that there might be a creator, but why on earth would he love me? Maybe we struggle to accept miracles. Maybe we can accept that there were miracles in the Bible back then, but he's not going to do it for me. Those things are for the other, for special people, 
who lived a long time ago. And yet earlier on in this chapter, in Hebrews uh, 11, verse 6, the author says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you, wish, if you want to be a Christian, then faith is something you're going to have to take very seriously. It's not just for special people. It's for all of us. That does not mean you have to throw away your brain. I want to reassure you all. We live in Cambridge. We all value our brains. <laughs> But you are going to have to allow yourself to be open to God's voice and in some instances be willing to act on that before you see the fruit. And if you want to know what faith looks like, well, we've been given some examples this morning. And I, I don't have time to go into all of them. I'd absolutely love to do just a full-on, you know, six-week sermon series exegesis on each of those characters. But I, I don't have that time or capacity. So I will encourage you to do that in your own personal Bible studies and ask God to, to speak to you uh, through each of these characters. But first, let's have a look at Joseph. Joseph trusted God his whole life. And although God gave him dreams that indicated that he would be some kind of ruler or be some form of, uh, in some position of authority, for the majority of his life, the opposite of that was true. And Joseph had to learn how to be quietly confident in the hope God had given him and be resolutely assured that although he didn't see evidence of that coming to pass, it would one day happen. And of course, we all have the benefit of hindsight to know that for him it did. By exercising that faith muscle throughout his life, he was then able to, uh, at the end of his life, prophetically discern that his descendants would one day leave Egypt. And he was then even able to give clear instructions about his burial in that event. Next, we have Moses and his parents. His parents took great risk in hiding him because, as the scripture says, they knew he was no ordinary child. Of course, every parent in the room knows that about their child. Moses himself then took great risk in choosing to associate with the slave underclass rather than enjoy the lavish trappings he had been brought up with. And again, uh, by allowing God to grow him as he exercised his faith muscles all his life, we then see him working powerful miracles such as parting the Red Sea. Then, of course, we know uh, Moses' successor, Joshua, who was able to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land, bringing down the walls of Jericho, and a rather unlikely character, a sex worker called Rahab, who was courageous enough to defy her own people and act as an aid to the people of God. So if you think you're disqualified to be used by God in powerful ways because of your past, think of Rahab. Of course, there are others, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. All of them had moments in their lives where God spoke to them and they acted on it. And in many cases, he then spoke to them again and they had to act on it again. For most of them, we remember them by their whole lifestyle rather than a one-off event. That's not to say that their lives were perfect. But they did live by faith. Now, a lot of us read these and think, okay, these are, you know, these are the special people, and we often like to put them on, on pedestals. But I think the author of, 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 this, uh, of the book of Hebrews is actually trying to encourage us to do the opposite of that and to accept that as a reality that could be part of our lives as well. 
And as I said before, he mentions without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, as I said, I, I wish I could go into each of them in more detail, but um, for the sake of time, I have distilled my, uh, my study of, of these characters and also just reflections on my own life into a very simple pattern that I have noticed when it comes to living by faith. And the pattern of living by faith goes like this. Number one, cultivate an intimate relationship with God. This is a gradual thing. It takes time. And over time, you become familiar with his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And for a lot of us, it'll be that inner quiet voice in our hearts. And you have to spend time stilling, stilling your mind and, and, and really listening out for him. And over time, it becomes clearer as you go on. So cultivate an intimate relationship with God. Number two, just say yes. It will absolutely be scary. It will definitely be costly, socially, financially. You will look like a fool. And eventually, and there's always a lag at this point, but eventually he then will give you something greater than whatever it is that you gave up. I could categorically say that's been true for me every time. I, I promise. So intimacy with God, just say yes. <laughs> Easy to preach, <laughs> difficult to live by. But I, I have some reassurance for you this morning. Um, again, judging from these stories and also from my own life, I, I, can, I can also assure you that God trains us in this over time, gradually. You don't have to be Moses tomorrow. You don't have to, you know, go part the Red Sea. <laughs> And, and usually he starts with something that feels enormous for us, but later on we realize it was actually quite small. It's a little bit like trying to start a new exercise regime if you've never, ever exercised in all your life. That act of getting on the treadmill is often the hardest part. But then once that's in your regular rhythm, you'll actually find that, that sort of stretching yourself and maybe going for a longer distance or, or, or you know, uh, faster or whatever, like those, those challenges actually become quite fun. And once it's part of your lifestyle, it's, uh, it, yeah, you enjoy it. <laughs> uh, but that beginning part is the hardest. Um, I was at the evening service last week where we were hearing from Matthew 6. And Jesus saying, do not worry about what you eat and what you will wear. And I just felt like God was reminding me of something I had forgotten about. And it was, I think it was five years ago. Hannah Mitchell will remember. Um, where... I'd had, this, I'd had some devotional time with the Lord and I was meditating on Matthew 6 and I really felt like the Lord was highlighting to me that verse where he says, don't worry about your clothes. And I just had this moment of, oh no, what's he going to ask me to do? And I really clearly felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I want you to go for a whole year where you don't buy any clothes. And I just thought, oh. Lord, my tights all have ladders. <laughs> Can I go buy some clothes for the year and then spend the year learning how to be content with what I've got? And he said, really clearly, he said to me, no, I want you to pray for everything you need for a year. Now, I wasn't financially destitute. I absolutely could have afforded to buy myself clothes. But as an act of faith, he asked me to do that. 
And so very reluctantly and rather grumbly, I said, yes. I've got, I've got a great wardrobe. <laughs> the amount of people, including non-Christians, who would come up to me and just say things like, oh, you know, I just, I was looking at this top or this dress or these trousers or whatever in my wardrobe, and I, I, I've never worn it before, or I've worn it once and then never wore it again, and I just couldn't get this image of you wearing it out of my head, so I just thought maybe I should, maybe I should give it to you. And I ended up with such a nice wardrobe. It was much better than what I would have bought uh, for myself. And there were some things where I was like, no, Lord, I've got a wedding coming up. Like, I need something, like, nice, you know? Um, and someone gave me this stunning emerald dress. I still have it. I absolutely love it. Some of those clothes he then told me to give away to other people after I wore it a few times, so that was upsetting. Um, that's <laughs> but it was incredible. It was an amazing year, and, and, I, and it really built my faith because I had to pray for socks. You know, I had holes in all my socks, and someone bought me socks. Like, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it sounded ridiculous at first. I really thought, gosh, you know, clothes, what a shallow, superficial thing to invite God into your into your, that part of your life, you know, it, it's so silly, but, but it, it really, um, yeah, it stretched my faith in, in crazy, crazy ways. Um, and I now, in hindsight, don't we love hindsight, <laughs> can tell you that that, I think, was training <laughs> for what I'm doing now, where um, uh, many of you will know I, I'm pioneering a new uh, uh, organization called the Cambridge Theological Institute for Prisons, or CAMTIP for short, and um, we are basically going to be teaching accredited theological uh, degree programs inside of a prison, uh, who prior to COVID-19 was the fastest growing church in our diocese. Um, they're not allowed to call themselves that anymore because most of the prisoners have been sent off on good behavior to nicer medium security prisons. Um, but basically there's sort of a growing critical mass of people coming to faith in prison who are really passionate about God, but they're serving like 10, 15, 20 year minimum term sentences. Some of them are full life. So we're going to teach them theology while they're serving time. And God uh, has uh, spoke to me uh, and, and through a discernment process was able to kind of, um, yeah, clarify that that really was him. And so I've, uh, he asked me to quit my job. And, and, and do this full time. And now I'm living by faith where people uh, support me, some of them monthly, some of them as one-off gifts. And I'm literally living hand to mouth in faith, um, you know, off God's provision, well, off God's family's provision, um, which is terrifying. But I don't think I would have had the faith to do that if I hadn't first had to ask him to provide me with clothes. <laughs> um, so God does train us, is, is sort of what I'm saying. And it's really fun is the other thing. It, it, it's the first step out is really scary, but when you're living like that, it, it's, it's really, really fun. Um, it can be scary, um, but what I have found is that the anxiety comes when you're not cultivating that intimacy with God. And when you're, when you're aligned with him, when you are... Um, really prioritizing his presence. That's when, it, that's when it's fun. <laughs> so I, I am going to encourage us uh, to do that in our response this morning. Um, but I'd just like to share one last encouragement before we uh, go into our response. With regards to my illness, I, um, as I said before, I'd, I'd been in, in really quite terrible pain for a long time and then was also trying to pioneer this ministry. And, and those two factors basically meant that I'd be working on my laptop in bed and sometimes not working at all. Um, 
And one of the things that we, I was sort of struggling to find was a partner institution that would validate the courses um, because it was really important that we have courses that are accredited um, so that we can go through the education department in the prison and have the prisoners' time. Um, that was a huge problem, and I, I basically got to the point where after two years of working on this while being sick, I, I was about a hair's width away from giving up. Um, I, was, I was super unwell. I was just like, I just want to live off disability benefits and just exist, and I'm, I'm done, just psychologically. And also just people look at you like you're an idiot, you know, when you're like, oh, I'm going to teach theology in a prison. <laughs> people just look at you like, okay. Um, and then I, I was invited to give a talk at um, the Cambridge Theological Federation and, and to sort of share my experiences um, volunteering with Kairos and also to, to sh sort of share my vision of what I felt like God was saying. And long story short, um, Westminster College, which is a United Reformed um, Theological Resource Centre, um, approached me afterwards and said, um, we discussed it with the governors and we unanimously voted in favour of incubating this vision um, we're going to give you some staff who'll work for you pro bono. You won't have, we won't charge you for, for their time. Uh, we're going to give you an office in our beautiful building. If you know Mattingly Road, it's that stunning red brick college. They're really, really beautiful. Um, and, you know, basically they, they're giving it validity. And then through their connections with uh, Durham University, we're going to be doing the Durham uh, University accredited uh, degree program called the Common Awards Suite. So our prisoners are now going to start off with the foundation award, level four, so just after GCSEs. Uh, and if they go through the full program, which is four years full-time, they'll finish with a bachelor's degree in theology for ministry and mission from the University of Durham, which is extraordinary. Um, and so that was like, okay, I guess I can't give up now. <laughs> almost, that was almost annoying, you know? <laughs> sort of like, oh gosh, I just want to rest. Um, so I was like, okay, cool, thank you, Lord, praise God. Um, one problem, I'm in terrible pain, how do I get to the office? And I, I had an, a regular appointment coming up with a specialist nurse, um, and my mom and I were praying about it beforehand, and we both felt like the Holy Spirit was asking us to pray that she would have an epiphany in the consultation. And so we prayed for that, and then I had the phone call, appointment with her, and... I literally, you could tell the moment when she had that epiphany. She just, there was this long pause and she was, you could hear her going through the paperwork. And she was going, what did your dietician say, by the way, about all this? And I said, well, I don't have a dietician. I can't afford one. She goes, no, 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 the one that you should have been referred to when you were first diagnosed two years ago. I said, well, I wasn't. I don't, you know, this hasn't happened. She goes, oh, whoops. You were supposed to be referred to a dietician. Okay. Can you refer to me to a dietitian? Yeah, sure, no problem. So they did an emergency referral to a dietitian. The dietitian put me on this really weird diet that even my GP hadn't heard of. And within 48 hours, I was completely fine. No pain, no fatigue, energy back, personality back, everything back, just instantly. And that gave me about three weeks to develop my fitness so that I could cycle <laughs> to the new office. So, so anyway, I just want to encourage you that the timing of that aligned perfectly and it was absolutely extraordinary. So um, if you want to hear more stories of God doing miracles, specifically in prisons, and you want to hear about God healing people, we have a guy who had cancer who's been healed. Uh, we want to hear about people leaving gangs and gangs threatening to kill them and then them not dying miraculously. You want to hear those stories. Um, I'm going to be hosting a vision day here at church on Saturday the 18th of June in the upper hall at 10 a.m. I think that'll go on the church emails as well, maybe. 
hopefully, yes, thank you, Tim. Um, uh, so there'll be an opportunity to hear more about the vision, ask questions, and learn how you can join in if you'd like to. But if you just want to come and hear the sound of my voice, that's a valid reason too. Um, so that's Saturday the 18th of June, 10am, the Upper Hall. So be encouraged by that. I'm going to draw this to a close because I think we're running out of time. And apologies again for being a little scatty this morning. <laughs> um, I'd like us to spend the last maybe four, three, four minutes uh, cultivating that intimacy with Jesus that I mentioned before, because I, I don't think we can rightfully ask our church family to live by faith if we don't first have that intimacy with Jesus. So um, I'm going to lead us in a response if that's all right. And I would love to invite you to stand if you are able and willing. Um, I'm aware that we're all in different stages of our faith journeys, so I promise this won't be scary. Um, it's going to look different for each and every one of us. But I'd love to invite you just, uh, just to begin with to close your eyes and just open up your posture. And if, if you're able and willing to open up your hands as a sign of receiving and surrender to the Lord... And this, this might feel unfamiliar for some of us, and for some of us this will be very normal. Um, so I'd just love to encourage you. I think when we, when we stand in a posture of openness to God, that does something in our own hearts. And once you've spent a moment just quietening yourself, quietening your heart, I'd love to encourage you to just visualize Jesus. Imagine the person of Jesus somewhere in this room right now. For some of us, he will be very, very close, and for others, he'll be quite far away. And as you look to him, I want to encourage you to allow him to just to gaze at you and to in some way show you his love for you. For some of us, Jesus is waiting to be invited to come closer to you. This won't be for all of us, but for some of us, especially if, you're, if you feel like he's far away from you. I'd, I'd love to, and this might feel really scary, but I'd, I'd love to encourage you just to invite him to, to take a few steps closer to you right now in this time and to, to show you more of his love for you.
And now I'd, I'd love to encourage you to allow him, if, if you're able and willing, if you're, if, to allow him and to invite him to deposit something new into your heart right now. And that's going to look very different for every individual in this space. Come, Lord. And for some of us, I think God's even calling us just to say the word yes out loud. Just say yes to him. <laughs>